Thank you, everyone, that send your birthday birthday wishes and blessing. I appreciate it. Um, the whole problem is, of course, here in America, we're on Fahrenheit. We're the only country left in the world that still measures by Fahrenheit. Really, yes. And, of course, back in England, we're, we're on Celsius. It's much better. And um, so over here, you say 83, but in England, that's only 28. And so, yeah, I, I, I live on Celsius, not on this Fahrenheit stuff. But um, anyway, it is good to still be preaching the Word of God. I've been preaching now for 70 years and um, no plans of quitting. And um, it only gets better. And I, I want to share, I suppose, if I have chosen, this is my 83rd birthday text, um, maybe it's because I'm 83, I dare to do it. Because I know this is going to blow some people away. Uh, some could get upset. Anyway, nobody, nobody's just going to hear this. Um, incidentally, um, how many of you watch The Chosen? Okay. It's going to be worse for you. <laughs> um, in John chapter 3, and you know already John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I ask that about the chosen because um, I think everybody agrees that the character of Nicodemus in The Chosen is the most uh, warm. Um, everybody gets teary-eyed uh, when it comes to Nicodemus in The Chosen. Uh, and I've got to tell you, would you please forget all of that? It, it's great. I watch The Chosen. Um, and it's great to make characters real. But in order to do it, they've mixed up a lot of Bible stories that the Bible doesn't mix up and um, put people in that aren't in the Bible. And, and Nicodemus happens to be one that leads the pack there. Um, we have no record of a wife. Um, and as for his involvement with Mary Magdalene, that is pure um, I'll say fiction. I mean, Mary Magdalene really was delivered, but I don't think Nicodemus had any say in it at all. Um, apart from that, as I say, he's, he's the most warm character of the chosen. But I want to look at him as he comes to Jesus and the conversation that ensued, um, because it is one of the most important conversations in the Gospel of John. And um, so Nicodemus, yes, he was a respected teacher or leader. In fact, uh, he would be on what was called the Great Sanhedrin, which would be something similar to our Supreme Court. 
uh, it certainly meant that he was among the leaders. There were 70 on the court, and they were the 70 leaders of Israel who played politics with the Romans in order that they could continue in the way they understood they should. And so he's, he's known by everybody. He's a very famous figure because he's on that council. And on that council, there were many different opinions religiously. He was a Pharisee, and we know the Pharisees. Um, they were rigid in their pursuit of a salvation by do and work and try. That They were persons who kept the law, added to the law, 2,000 extra laws to make sure you kept the ten and on and on it goes. They were the Pharisees. Nicodemus was obviously a leader, not only of all Israel, but he was he wouldn't be on the council unless he was a leader among the Pharisees. And so it's that man who comes to Jesus. And coming to Jesus, um, that there's a suggestion possibly that he would have to go to the outskirts of town. I don't think he came to Jesus when Jesus was in Capernaum. It's in more likelihood uh, the whole area around here uh, that it's speaking, um, Jesus would be traveling, and which would mean he probably had some sort of tent outside the cities that he was in. Um, and he, remember, is one of the most important people in Israel, and he's coming now not only to a peasant, because the way they looked at it, we, we know uh, from other conversations within the great Sanhedrin, they talked about the Galilee as can any good thing come out of Galilee. They're a bunch of peasants. They're a bunch of idiots. And it, it is as if if you were a Galilean and you went uh, to Jerusalem, it would be the same way as someone from Mississippi going to Broadway in Manhattan. Um, you, your speech betrays you. Open your mouth and everybody knows where you came from. And, and the attitude of the North and the South is not the best. And, and so he's going to Jesus, whose accent, I don't know if you realize, was more Mississippi. He, he was the peasant from the Galilee. And remember when Peter w was blaspheming Jesus and he tried to say, I don't know the man, the, the lady said, your speech betrays you. We know where you come from. Nicodemus, the great leader of the Pharisees and of the Sanhedrin, goes to talk to a peasant who already is causing ripples from one end of Israel to the other. And I, I, I want to know this man. Uh, I'm trying to get what the chosen portrays him as. Um, I want to know the man that's hearing in John's gospel because underneath all of his legalism, which had to be there, he's a Pharisee and a leader of the Pharisees, but underneath this man has an unusually sincere and listening heart. It took a lot for a Pharisee to come to Jesus and say, we know that you're someone sent from God. What it took him, how he got the words over his lips, I don't know, to say that. But that proves to me he was sincere. 
He's, he's not a spy that's been sent in by the Pharisees to ask some questions. He's coming from himself. In fact, he says, we suggesting there was a little group within the Sanhedrin who had been talking. And he's not exactly representing them, but there's a we there. There's conversations going on about who is Jesus and what's going on here. Nicodemus said, I'm going to find out for myself. And so he come, becomes under the cover of darkness. Um, I, I think that is pretty plain why. He doesn't want any other Pharisees, anybody really, to know that he's coming to talk to Jesus. That's not very nice, but it's a fact. He doesn't want people to know. And I say, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which means everybody knows his face. He can't just put on dark glasses and sneak through the streets. He, he comes under the cover of darkness. There's a suggestion of fear there as to what the other people on the Sanhedrin might think. Um, what will they say? And so he sneaks away to where Jesus is, ashamed, as I've said before, as a leader and teacher within the Sanhedrin, that he would go and even talk to a peasant, let alone come with questions and giving that peasant the position of having come from God. But you see, he came, and that's, that's the point here that he's a man who is in the same darkness as the Pharisees. But he came. That there was a desire within him to know something more. There's a shaft of light that's penetrated his legalistic darkness. And, and, and he wants confirmation. Is it really true what I'm hearing? Could this be? Could this be? Because all I've got right now is information. And that's all he wanted. See, the, you know, I'm trying to be fair with this guy. He, he's coming because he's driven by a desire to know. But it's very obvious. Give me, give me information. Let, let me have confirmation of what I've heard. And let's leave it at that. Uh, Jesus is going for the jugular. And, and so you have this um, sort of dance going on with Jesus coming in and Nicodemus trying to find a way out. But he was strong enough to come and find out for himself. We know you come from God as a teacher. We know that. The word know there would be in the area of a seeing. We perceive it um, with, with our eyes with which we judge what's going on. We see that you're a teacher come from God. We see the miracles and we recognize them as signs that point to something. Um, and we recognize that you couldn't do this unless God was with you. A strong statement, God with you. Now, Jesus picks up. He picks up on those words. He didn't just come in from left field. He uses that word see. So he, Nicodemus says, um, we know, we see, perceive that you're a teacher come from God. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He uses the same word. He said, you're coming to me and you're talking about knowing and seeing my words and what I'm saying. You could never see those words. You could never understand that I'm someone come from God unless something else is going on here. And that's where we begin to miss it with this translation, you must be born again. Can, can I just blow that away and say that does it? that's not what the scripture says? And, and I'm sorry I've taken away your teddy bear, but what, what's, what would the evangelicals do without born again? Um, and yet, almost every Bible that you can pick up these days, including some of the you know more revered versions, it will give you either in the margin, and it says, or um, born from above. And some have gone all the way and just put it in the text. I, I You know that I go to some of these chaps on, on the internet, um, names you might know, um, leaders of the evangelical world, just to see what they're saying, because I never want to accuse people um, unless I read it or hear it myself. And, and I read it just yesterday. That this fellow is on this, this chapter, and um, he, he's, he has a footnote. He's talking, the whole thing he's talking about is born again. And he, right at the first sentence, he has a footnote. And in the footnote, it says, the Greek is born from above. And spend the rest of the article talking about born again. So what are we doing here? We have got... Um, this what in that little phrase we built an entire world uh, you, you've heard a, of course you know we expect Jesus to because he's just told him you've got to be born again so he's, he's going to introduce the sinner's prayer now and, and make sure that he gets born again um, and of course everybody everybody says born again so you can go to heaven when you die because to them the kingdom of God is heaven we saw that last week and 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 so what was Jesus saying? Well, right away, obviously they're, they're saying it doesn't matter what he said. Born again, born from above, who cares? Uh, no, it's two totally different things. And when you understand that in this, do you hear again now? Let me say it again. Jesus is saying, you just use the word see, perceive. And you said you perceived in what I am saying that I must come from God. You're perceiving in what I'm doing that God is with me. God, This is a God speaking to you event. And you could never pick that up. You could never hear that unless you were born from above. He is not saying you must be born again. He is saying what you've just said indicates that any shaft of light you have, any indication that I have come from God, is because there's something inside of you that resonates with something above. Okay, I got three nods here. Um, that's enough to go on. Um, this... Um, in some of the ancient, not the modern translations, they've only begun to be honest with it. 
But some of the ancient translations going back to the first, second century, they actually say you must be born from the origin. You must be born from the origin, which is entirely different from born again. Um, in James 1.17, he uses, and he's speaking uh, of all the gifts of God, and it says they come from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And he speaks of the above. Not that it's above and away, but above our flesh existence, above what we can touch and taste and feel. There's an invisible reality which we associate with above in that it is above our flesh existence. Uh, and James says it comes down to us from the above, the father of lights. And then James again, in a couple of chapters later, he speaks about a life that comes down from God, the wisdom which comes down from above. And he speaks of other, more negative life, and he said that doesn't come from above. You get, this is not an unusual expression in Scripture. Colossians 3 speaks of that if you be risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The above. Um, what was it? The origin. What's he talking about? He, he is saying essentially to Nicodemus, you didn't begin in your mother's womb. That you are not like a monkey. You are quite different to a dog that began in their mother's womb. But you began with an origin before time, before in that great before when it was the mind of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, where the decision was made that you should come into existence. But that decision, the blueprint of that, was that you should be adopted into the Holy Trinity family by union with Christ. You've heard me talk about that. But if you read Ephesians chapter 1 and the first five verses, he's outlining, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes back before the foundation of the world, or some maybe better, is before the fall of man, before the fall screwed everything up, before the plan, the blueprint, that you should be included into the family, adopted, you, a begun creature, you who wasn't and now are, God says, but my purpose is that you be joined into Christ and in Christ absolutely become a fellow member of the Holy Trinity in Christ so that you would know the Father in Christ, face to face with the Father. And the Father would delight in you and you would live in the realm of the Holy Spirit. That's the before. That's the origin. Or could I put it this way? That's your real parent. Your parents are very real. But before your parents, there is the parent, God your Father, who adopted you in Christ into that holy family. Okay? Above. That's what eternal life is, without going into it at this point. But eternal life 
is life that didn't begin with time. And there's only one life that didn't begin with time, and that is God's life. And you were intended for, you were locked into the life which is the very life of God. So what is he really saying? Hold it. What is Jesus saying to Nicodemus? He's saying, you are talking of the kingdom of God, which is what is I'm all about. And he is saying, you cannot know the kingdom of God without knowing where you came from. Did you hear that? The kingdom of God is not something duct-taped onto your life. It isn't that we're just living our same old, same old life and then we duct-tape onto it this kingdom of God idea. He said the kingdom of God began before you were born. That's your origin. That's your blueprint. That's why you is. But until you know that origin, the kingdom of God won't make any sense to you here at all. Or you could put it this way. He is saying to Nicodemus, there is a spiritual dimension within you that when you look at me and hear what I'm saying and see what I'm doing, it resonates with that, that dimension inside of you. And, and, and you, you start thinking in terms of the kingdom. Unless you have that, you wouldn't even know to ask me, Nicodemus. Unless you had that, you would not see, know, hear me. It's that I would, okay? And without that, or if you've sat on top of it, without that, you'll be seeking a kingdom. But you will seek a kingdom of what he calls flesh, which is of the natural mind. You'll think in terms, oh, God forbid it, but you'll think of the kingdom of God like a denomination. You'll think of the kingdom of God in terms of religious politics, of superintendence and hierarchy. and You'll think of organizations, and you'll think of Robert's Rules of Order to conduct your meeting. And when it comes to what you're talking about, you'll think in terms of formulas. Formulas, you, you understand. Um, we're not talking formulas here. We're talking about a life that is within you. And, and, and what you just said, Nicodemus, hang on to it, because that's what I'm talking about. If you're going to ever see the kingdom of God, you have to be born from above. And do you understand, whoever you are that I talk to, whoever, wherever you are, you are born from above, whether you know it or not. That's where you began. You, you, you are not just some flesh thing that crawled out of mud. See, the lie... The lie, which sometimes we refer to as the darkness, that is its main thrust to take away 
from you just the idea that I'm a, a creature and to make you realize that you're not just a creature, that you are birthed, birthed, born in the mind of the Holy Trinity before this world began. And in that birthing, you were gifted. That's where grace first shows up before we even got here. It graced you with a purpose that you should be exalted. Your, your destiny of life is that you be joined into one with Jesus the Christ. And you should then be part of the experience, participate in the love of the Father and the Son. The lie says, forget about that. You, you, don't, you don't come from God. God has no part in this. You are self-originating. Or better yet, let's say you're the massive cosmic accident. And, and if you teach that, they'll give you a degree. Because what I just quoted, I'd quoted, that I didn't make that up. I quoted it. It was on NPR, National Public Radio, when one of the greatest scientists in the world used those exact words. He said that after all his studies and all his degrees, this is his conclusion. You are a cosmic accident. And he says, you are the roll of a dice across the universe. And he came up with two sixes and here you are. And just in the puff of here you puff you're gone and he says there is no meaning there is no purpose that is great darkness thinking and as i say you'll get a nobel prize for that but that's the lie don't ever think that you're more than a monkey don't ever dream that there was a purpose that predates creation and that you are here according to a blueprint. Don't ever think that. There was just plain nothing. And flash of lightning and... Another guy, he's the, supposed to be the greatest in the world, Dawkins in, in England. And I heard him, a live interview, when, when he was pushed to say, where do we come from? And he actually said, this fellow said the greatest scientist in the world and, and he says well i think little men from mars came and seeded the earth with humans no stupid but that's the lie isn't it god forbid god forbid you would think that you're something so glorious that you were created to be fellows the father son and holy spirit you understand? But let's get this straight. The darkness, the lie cannot change your origin. You, you can be lied to and you can believe the lie. You can get the Stockholm Syndrome and start to work with the lie. But it doesn't change your origin. You can't change that. You can go to your parent and say, you are no longer my father. Well, tough. Your father's blood is in your veins. You can't change your origin. You can't change your original parent. 
You might say, I don't believe in God. You think that affects the fatherhood of God? Do you think that diminishes your value? Does it diminish his love? Does it diminish your preciousness to God? Let's be serious. Because I'm, I'm talking now to believers. This is, this is how we have been taught to look at those in the darkness. That they've, God isn't their parent. That they're just lost there and they've lost their value. And No. When we're speaking of original parent, creator who put us together, whatever lie shrouds this planet, however profound and deep it is, can't change the origin, can't change the truth. Okay, some of you are looking at me with eyes as big as saucers. If, if I had a hundred dollar bill and I lose that hundred dollar bill, does that mean it is no longer a hundred dollar bill? Has it lost its face value? No, it's simply no longer in my pocket, but it hasn't. Has it been devalued to worth near a few pennies? Or because you lost the $100 bill, does it mean you're saying, I'm done, I'm finished with $100 bills? I don't want anything to do with it. Some people think God's like that, you see. You sinned and so well, he just damned you in hell. What the, I mean, I'm finished. No, you haven't. You haven't lost your value, which makes it all the more tragic that in the darkness we don't know our own value. We don't know that we were born from above. So now there's, we, we don't even go there to look at that dimension. It just creeps up on us sometimes and, and we realize there's something more than my flesh existence. But we don't go there. And of course Nicodemus is totally confused. Well, he was confused on many fronts because as a Jew, and certainly as a Pharisee, he believed that he had not only access, he was a bona fide member of the kingdom of God whenever that kingdom showed up, simply because I'm a Jew. And he believed that. The kingdom of God was for the Jewish people. Here Jesus is telling him that there's, there's another dimension to seeing the kingdom of God that has nothing to do with bloodline. <sighs> Nicodemus said there's only one birth that has any importance in all of creation, and that is that you have a descent, you have a genealogy that goes back to Abraham. And if you have a genealogy that goes back to Abraham, then you are among the most privileged in the world, and yours is the kingdom of God. That's where his life began. Abraham, Israel, me, Jew, Pharisee. Therefore, in kingdom of God. Jesus was saying there is a birth that is of more importance than being a descendant of Abraham. 
an origin that was before Abraham. If you've been to our Bible school, you know that we deal with that. Where, where do you begin in your thinking? Do you begin with the fact of Adam, humankind? Do you begin with Abraham and think Israel is everything? No, we have to begin before Abraham, before creation, before Adam, before Adam fell. Your ultimate before is above, in the heart of the Father. And, and then he gets totally confused. In fact, he gets as confused as some people today. He, he hears what Jesus says and confuses born from above. He latches onto the word born. And, and he says, you mean born a second time? A second chance at life? Is that, is that, how can that be? I'm a, an old gray-headed man in the Sanhedrin. How can we possibly talk about a new beginning, a second chance, a rebirth? But Jesus wasn't talking about that. Jesus was speaking of a different origin, not a second birth, a different one. He is saying you see yourself totally in terms of your flesh, your bloodline, your descendant from Abraham. I'm talking, I'm not denying that, but I'm, I'm talking about something different, something before that. It's more than our physical flesh. We're spirit. We originate, we originated in that father-son face-to-face. It's where you came from. Well, when I traveled the world in some odd places uh, and I, I'd, I'd meet another Brit um, not that they had a big sign on them saying I'm a Brit but you know <laughs> your speech betrays you and, and um, you, you, I would hear and sometimes I could almost tell which part of England they came from and, and, and there's great excitement we, we have a common origin we've got a common history and we were immediately different, at least in that moment, because of that. And, and that's what I'm trying to get at here. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you realize your difference. You're not the same as the rest of creation. You're not. You're not a rock. You're, you're, you're not a bird. You're not a mosquito. You're not an ape. They all have their place within God's good creation, but there's only one who has been born from above, who finds their origin in the mind of the Father, who determined that we would be included into Christ to be included into the fellowship of the Trinity. See, that's, that's the darkness. The darkness, a great deal of the darkness that I keep talking about is that it confuses us. Because as I read this for the thousandth time, I, I, why, why would Nicodemus be so confused? He's already seen enough to be there, and yet now he's confused over the plain statement of what Jesus is saying. He's confused. 
Let me put it this way. I don't know if you've ever realized this. Mankind, including all of us, we, well, I say it's a Stockholm Syndrome. We would call it that today. When we've joined our captors, we, we joined our kidnappers, and now, now we're one of them. The, the script that, that what I'm trying to say is the darkness doesn't come and just simply blind us. The darkness has got an idea in the middle of it, and that idea is you shall be as God, that you shall be able to not only find your own origin in yourself, you'll find life in yourself. And that idea is the very pulse beat of the darkness. And if I believe that idea, then I want it to be dark. I don't want, I don't want to know the truth. L listen to this. It says, it's speaking in Romans 1, uh, of um, men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is, the darkness didn't come and suck you on the side of the head. The darkness, we were in cahoots with it. I want the darkness because I like the idea. I like the idea of independence. It says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. You're born from above. You can't deny it. Even in the darkness, it's there. For God made it evident to them since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power have been clearly seen, understood what has been made. They're without excuse. I know that those men I have quoted, they don't want to know the truth. They, their ideas about coming from slubs of mud and the roll of the dice and little green men from Mars, that is only, yeah, plain stupid because I don't want to know the truth. Or as it puts it here, suppress, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that means to hold it down. It's trying to come up like a cork in the ocean and suppress, I, I restrain it. The, the word has been translated stopping while possessing. I, I've got it, but I don't want it. And I push it down. Another says putting a shroud over the truth. I'm going to hide it, stifle it. And it goes on. And it, it says, they knew God, but they didn't honor him or give thanks. They became futile in their speculation. Their stupid, foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I could keep going, but that, that's what, what the Bible says about mankind, which is very important. What, what we're dealing with is not a confusion that just overtakes me. And I, it is rather, I prefer, I don't, I don't want grace. 
I, I don't want to be told that all this is gift and I have nothing to do with it. I, I, want, I want there to, to find myself with, with something to do. I, I want to be included in the list of honors in heaven to say he's better than you and he works harder than you and I deserve this and you don't deserve it. I want that. I like that. That fits. And we've taken that idea and we've implanted it upon society so that everywhere we turn, it is, I mean, competition. I've got to be better than you. I've got to be better than you. And we like it. It, it feeds something inside of us. And so now when I come to the most ultimate of who am I, I like that. I am. I'm going to be better than you. I like that. And it's amazing. It doesn't matter where you find people. It's, it's very bad. I remember in New York City, I was down on Skid Row. Skid Row in New York City. Believe me, that's a place. And, and there was this drunk, and it was in terrible shape. Might have been his last breaths. And he held on to me, and he said, you know, really, I'm a good man. He said, I always share my wine with somebody else. I said, right to his dying breath. I'm, you know, I'm good, I'm good. It's, um, that, that is the essence. Uh, Jesus called these same people, the Pharisees, just five chapters from here, he would call the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. He is the liar, and you enjoy doing his works and lying in the lie. In Acts 7, 57, while Stephen was preaching and the light was turned on for sure, it says that the Sanhedrin, these guys, the Sanhedrin, jumped to their feet, put their hands over their ears and said, stone him to death. That is, I don't want to hear. If I hear what you're saying, it upsets everything in my life. I don't want to hear. And so the darkness is not only darkness, which is very real, but I'm, I'm on the side of the darkness. I don't want to know. And therefore I find the darkness is hostile to the light. The darkness isn't just blob of darkness. It's actually hostile. It wants to overcome the light. The darkness wants to protect the lie, seeking to hold down and hide any idea of helpless dependency upon Christ or the suggestion of grace. It's to hold it down. C.S. Lewis calls it watchful dragons. That's, of course, typical Lewis. Um, but I like it. It says, as truth is coming to you, there are watchful dragons that are going to make sure you don't get it who will confuse you and you'll be very happy to take the confusion and live there. Nicodemus, nice guy. I really think so. Look, he showed up to Jesus. Sincere, moral, sincere, yeah, but locked into the lie that says you've got to do and what you do is because of who you are, a privileged person. He's confronted by Jesus, the light of the world. 
that penetrates into the darkness of his niceness and his morality and says nothing counts until you know where you come from, until you know from the above. And that sent shockwaves through his whole being, which was repelled by confusion. Duh, how can that be? And some of the guys that he hung out with would be the ones who covered their ears and said, don't talk to us about that. We don't want to know. So Jesus keeps pushing this origin. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Which is born of the spirit is spirit. In the message translation, Peterson puts it this way. He says, you look at a baby and he says, you can touch, you can kiss, you can caress, you can listen to baby. But he says, keep looking because in that baby is more than what you can touch and more than what you can hear. There, there's a we call personality, but there is that spirit. There, there's... There's something in that baby you can't touch. It's beyond your touching. As surely as it's in you too, that which is born of flesh is flesh. But also there's something else. That there's a birth there. It comes from spirit, from above. And he says you're born, born of water and of the spirit. Um, I believe that refers back to creation. That's what he's talking about. And you remember in creation, do you remember? It says that water and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And he says, And the Spirit moved on the face of the waters, which brought forth creation. But do you know that word moved? Spirit moved, that word in the Hebrew language is brood, which means birth. It's a mother hen over her eggs bringing forth life. And it says, Out from the waters the Holy Spirit birthed creation Jesus said that's where you come from let's keep understanding never forget it there was water but then there was spirit water was visible you didn't know the spirit was moving on the face of the waters until you saw the ripples in the water that told you something else is happening you didn't see the spirit it's invisible so the invisible moved on the visible to fashion it into creation. And he says, you are a thousand times more than flesh. You're a thousand times more than a Pharisee sitting there in his religious robes. He says, there's, there's something in you no one can see, no one can touch, but that's, that's fashioning you. He says, you, you saw something enough to come. You resonated enough to come. But then he moves on. You've got to reconnect. If flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit, you, you've got to reconnect with your origin and the meaning of life. You've got to get back to the very rootage of creation, the spirit moving upon the flesh. And Nicodemus, again, how could these things be? I And Jesus, I won't say he got upset. I'd never, but he did. <laughs> he says, look, guy, 
You're, you're, and the, the word there in the Greek is the. You're the teacher. He had supremacy within the Sanhedrin. You are the teacher of Israel. And you don't know these things? Now, Jesus was not sarcastic. That's not one of the things I meet in the gospel. Compassionate, but not sarcastic. If he said to Nicodemus, you should know these things, he wasn't mocking him and saying, hey, 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 you're a teacher of Israel, you don't know this, huh? No. He's speaking very seriously. You should know it. This isn't hidden. This has been there from the beginning. Well, have you ever read about rebirth in the Old Testament? The seeing of something you'd never seen before through the Holy Spirit? Well, there was a prophet. He lived about, and really about, um, 500 years before Jesus came. His name was Ezekiel. And, and he spoke to Israel when they were in captivity in Babylon. And he said, and I'll fill you in on this, he said, you're going home. This captivity is going to be over. And you're going back. Well, those wonderful prophecies of the Old Testament that some people think of the cat's meow. Israel is going back to its land. And they said it was 1948. Oh, for goodness sake, read the Bible. It, 500 BC, that prophecy was given to Israel to go back from Babylon to their land. And they did. Right on time. Ezekiel says, when you go back, you will return. And when you go back, and then verse 24 of chapter 36, he says, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you back to your own land. Okay, that happened. What's next? Okay, in a clock that's ticking, 500 years before Jesus, they come back, they come back, they come back. By the time Jesus comes, they're back. Sort of. As many as wanted to come back. This excites me, I don't know. And if you come into the Bible school on Friday, it will really excite you. It says in verse 25, Then... When you ever read the word then, it means this is what happens next. So he said, I am going to take you back to your land. Then. They came back to their land, just like he said. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit within you. I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be my people. I will be your God. They came back. Then, and what happened? Then, Jesus came. And this, says Ezekiel, is what's going to happen when he comes. You will reconnect with the Spirit 
who is the worker, actualizer of creation. And he is going to come inside of you and you will have a new heart. You will reconnect with your origin. You will know who you are. You'll be in fellowship with me. Maybe you didn't get it. He says to Ezekiel. So chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me. Set me in the middle of a valley full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about. There were very many on the surface of the valley. And they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> Ezekiel knew the Lord well enough. You don't answer questions like that. He said, Lord, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you ever read the story of the valley of the dry bone? Yeah. You realize this is what it was all about? This is what Jesus was talking about. He said, yes. The valley of, a, what is a valley of dry bones? A valley of dry bones is a great army of humans who had died. And now all that's left is bones. And what are the bones as I look down that valley and walk among them as Ezekiel did? What, what, what do I see? It's only a vague, indistinct memory of what once had been. I look at the bones. I have to assume at one time there had been a lot of people. But now it's very indistinct. I don't know what kind of people they were. I don't know anything about them. In fact, the shape of that person is gone. The, the form of the person is gone. They don't make any sound. There's no sadness. There's no joy. There's no friendships. There's no fulfillment of being human. They neither hear nor do they respond. There's not even the sound of a buzzard. Even the vultures have given up. There's nothing left. It's significant. Jesus harped on this. Chapter 21 of Matthew, he said that the Pharisees, they were like... Um, Tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, that's who you are. And after Ezekiel had walked around the valley and the Lord says, okay, Ezekiel, can all these bones live? His response, wise man, was, I have no opinion. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's your, if you, if you think so. That's, that's very important. What he's saying is, this is not for humans to think about. This is beyond our comprehension. We don't, we're not, forget it if you, if you say so. Meaning, this is something only God can do. I've got no opinion. It's impossible for men to think about it, let alone do it. Whether I'm talking about the bones... There's nothing coming from the bones. And me as an outsider of the bones, I still, I've got no opinion. So the Lord says, prophesy. 
And in plainer English, prophesy means declare the divine intention. Declare the divine purpose. And what are you declaring? That I'm not finished with them yet. Wow. God is not finished with them. And as he declared the divine purpose, flesh came on them, ligaments and muscles covered the bones. But they were corpses. They lay there as corpses. Just knowing about the purpose doesn't produce the life. The Spirit of God must move upon the face of the waters. And so he says, declare to the Holy Spirit the purpose. And he says, like a great wind came through the valley and filled them. The Holy Spirit filled them and they rose on their feet, a mighty army. But of course, that mighty army was not just a return to being human. This was a resurrection army. And so Jesus was saying, when the Spirit comes and applies and broods over the purposes of God, then you'll not just be a superhuman. You will actually, you'll be something you can't even imagine at this point. You, you, you will actually be a resurrection, one who has not only returned from the dead, but overcome death. And as I say, Israel did return, just like Ezekiel said. And in that period of time when they returned before Jesus came, that's when the Pharisees came into existence. But Nicodemus knew, as every Jew knew, there was that then. After the return, then. And it would be resurrection in which the Holy Spirit would bring these people into the purpose of God. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and you're looking at it as something national, something to do with Israelis. You're looking at it as something to do with your bloodline and whether you've done all the law and keep all the law and you've got your denomination all straightened. Oh, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, which raises bones to death. You've got to know, Nicodemus, that the kingdom of God is an out-of-this-world resurrection. How can these things be? Yeah. Huh. How can these things be? Jesus goes directly to another story in the Old Testament. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Do you remember that story? God bless your nod. Is there another? You know, um, no. It's it's a very few people actually do know the story. The, the the terrible snakes came among the people in the wilderness, and, and the bite was death. And the snakes are biting, and and Moses takes brass and fashions the brass into an image of the snake. And then takes a stick and puts it on a high stick. And so there is the brass image of the snake that killed them. But now it's on a stick. 
And he said, just look at it and you'll live. And they did and they did. Jesus likened himself to that. He said, as Moses lifted the snake, there is something, Nicodemus, that bit you. And in biting you, it's death. It's living death. And therefore, well, you, you can't come to the bitten and just say, keep the law. Rather, he said, and now he's really now talking about himself. He said, I am going to take the darkness. But that meant I'm going to take the bite. In fact, I am going to become the darkness and the sin and the lie. But I'll become it having conquered it so it's just stuck on a stick, on a tree, on a cross. Look at the cross and what do you see? At the cross you see the whole of darkness that separated us from our purpose of life. And Jesus says, give it to me. It's something, I'm going to take it and talk about it. It's too, too, too good to talk about now. But the fact is, Jesus, let me put it like this. Jesus is God. Let that sink in. In fact, he is God that we meet first of all. That is, all that the Father ever wills, he wills to do it in and through the Son. So Jesus is called the Creator. But the Father's the Creator too. But the Father creates in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus. So we meet Jesus as the Creator. He is God, the one we, we know. Jesus is our Creator. It says of us that in him, in Jesus, we consist. We're glued together. We don't fly apart. We, we have cohesion. And all creation around us, it says, consists in Jesus. God, the Son, became flesh. He became one of us. But if you are God in whom everything and every person holds together, you can't just become a human being. That human being is equal to the entire creation. Does that make sense? If, if God is the one who didn't only create, but he holds it all together, then when he becomes one of us, it's not only one of us, for he was one of us, but that one of us became the whole creation. What I'm trying to say is, he couldn't come just for two people. He is God in whom everything holds together. So when he who holds everything together, becomes a human being, then that human being becomes everything that he holds together. I'm glad that you've all nodded at that because it's the greatest statement of the whole gospel. You see, you might have been torch 
taught something that is a little off. And you know how little off becomes big off? Because I've been taught Jesus came and died for me. That sounds right, doesn't it? It's a little bit off. He did die for me, but he who died for me was as me. I was in him. So when he died, he carried me with him into death. He did not die for you. He died as you, which was for you. What I'm saying, you can't escape this. Because another thing, you know, you, you might have heard is that Jesus died for those who believe on him. You mean that they sat down before the cross and said, well, there's, you know, a guy in Bandera, there's somebody in Dallas. I'm very serious. The creator who holds all things together by just simply being himself cannot die for one or two people. What he does involves the entire creation, whether you like it or not. When this same Jesus in Genesis 1 said, let there be light, light was. Not because we all believed it would be. <laughs> Did you, have you ever seen that thing, Peter Pan? Do you remember Peter Pan? Do you remember Tinkerbell? When in the pantomime they come and say, who will believe in Pink Tinkerbell so that she'll have existence? And the more you believe in her, the more she shines. And that's evangelicalism. You believe in Jesus, then, then he'll, he'll shine more, you know. He died for you, but it won't work unless you believe it. So believe it, come on, rah, rah, rah. We've got to stand back and maybe in fearful wonder that God stepped into our race, our lives, and did something without our permission. Look, the incarnation, God stepping into our humanity, the resurrection from the dead is not merely a blip on the radar screen of history. That, that's why we've talked about it before, the casualness. Do you believe in the resurrection? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. That's like saying, do you believe you exist? It's the resurrection? When, when creation stopped, death was reversed, and creation began. And in beginning, reconnected us to our origin and took us back face to face with the Father. And so when God becomes flesh, cannot be a private event that affected a few. He brought the creation out of death 
Or put it this way, Jesus is not the tribal God of America. That's what I hear. I've actually heard people say that. Yeah. I mean, India, well, they, they've got Buddhism. What do you want to upset them for? They've got Buddhism. You know, India, um, Hindu. Why, why do I go to Africa and upset all those tribes by trying to get rid of their tribal gods? Tribal god, yeah. So, if you believe enough, you can have a plane. You can wear gold and diamond bracelets if you believe enough, because God wants us to be prosperous. That only works in America. You try and teach that in a leper colony in Africa. But with less, you know. Who did Jesus die for? The Baptists? You'd think so, to hear some people talk. There's this sense of us and them. I know, to, to such people, this is horrific. He's not the tribal god of the West. You know, other religions began in certain places and they served certain people. Jesus is God who holds the entire cosmos. And when he rose from the dead, the race of mankind rose from the dead. The darkness was defeated, lost its authority. The lie was exposed. And we're reconnected to what happened before time between the Father and the Son. In him, in Jesus, the human race ended. And in the selfsame moment, resurrected to be reconnected to its source. That the lie had sought to end. And so the Holy Spirit then broods upon us with that purpose now in your face in Jesus and done, not a prophetic idea, but it's done. And we see Jesus is the beginning before time and he's the end who wraps it all up. That our destiny from the beginning to this present moment is in him. And the Holy Spirit broods on us and we reconnect. Or 1 Peter 1 3. He, the Father has caused us to be born from above to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, it is a second birth in one sense. But it's a second birth because it is reconnecting with my birth from above. And when did that happen? When you said the sinner's prayer last week? No, it happened in the resurrection of Jesus when he dealt with the whole race. And you were there. Your name was on the list. Your face was in his face. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose with him. And when he ascended above to the right hand of the Father, you are there seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're never apart. We're never independent. We're never separated. It's impossible. Where he is, I am. Where I am, he is. 
I am as accepted as Jesus. I am on the inside track as Jesus. I am delighted in even as Jesus. Well, there it is. At least the first time through. (laughs) Might have to go a second time. At the end of the story, Nicodemus shows up again. This time with Joseph of Arimathea. When every one of Jesus' disciples, except for John, had run for their lives, Nicodemus, in full public view, goes to Pilate, the Roman governor, and says, I want the body of Jesus. Because normally a crucified person was thrown on a trash heap. He said, I want that body, along with Joseph of Arimathea. And Pilate gave them the body, and they embalmed the body of Jesus. And it tells us what they paid for it. Do you realize that Nicodemus and Joseph together gave Jesus a burial in terms of embalming the body that was reserved for kings? It cost them a multi-fortune to do it. So I think at the end, whatever he understood or didn't understand, he got it in the end. Where do we stand in that? We we ask and we receive the opening of our eyes. That's the big deal. We have been taught it's all about a decision. But you can't make a decision until your eyes are open to know what you're doing. And once your eyes are open, it's no big deal. I don't need 200 verses of just as I am to do it. Because my eyes are open and it's pretty plain. That's what it says in Acts 26.18. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Once their eyes are open. Eyes open to know my origin in the mind of the Father. My eyes open to realize that Jesus joined me in my darkness and carried me to death and brought me through resurrection to know the Father. One last thing, and it really is, and it may be nothing, so take it or leave it, but what fascinates me about that story in Ezekiel, God did not simply out of the blue, say to the bones, come together. Nor did he say, Holy Spirit. Rather, he said, Ezekiel, you say it. And when Ezekiel said it, it happened. Which has given me great hope, as I've met many congregations that look like a valley of dry bones. And, but it's true. Do you see it? then when you say it, bones come together and spirit fills and we are reconnected. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the truth that is here. As we go from this listening, we ask Holy Spirit, you will open our eyes to see the vastness 
of what we've said today. We receive your blessing upon us. In the name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.